Welcome to California Ballot Breakdown from KPFA, where we take you through the stakes of what's on your ballot, the money behind the campaigns, give everyone enough time to make their best argument, and then try to get them off their talking points. On today's special. When you look at every other place in the country, (laughs) all we want to do is just put ourselves on par with how they tax large commercial property. The property tax increase will mean skyrocketing rent for many small businesses, business owners, and higher property taxes get passed on uh, to those uh, who lease the properties from commercial properties. There are two big tax changes on California's ballot, part of a push to roll back an era of anti-tax policies that started in 1978 with the passage of Prop 13. We will debate on this ballot, Proposition 15, which is pitting public sector unions against big real estate investors, and Prop 19, which has pulled together an odd coalition of unions, firefighters, and realtors. Plus, we'll walk you through a massive labor fight on the ballot in the form of Proposition 22. Stay tuned. Hey, before we get started, a quick orientation. Most of our election segments on KPFA are going to be airing during the 8 a.m. hour, except for these segments, which we're recording and playing in the evening because we're carrying Supreme Court hearings live. We're also publishing all of our election segments as a podcast so that you can find anything you missed. A lot of the candidate interviews and debates that we air will go up online before they make it to the airwaves. And the easiest way to find them all is to subscribe so you don't miss any. Just go to KPFA's website, search for California Ballot Breakdown, and hit the subscribe button at the top that corresponds to the podcast app that you use. All right, on today's special. This year, we're starting with the initiative that would have the biggest impact on state finances. That is Proposition 15. For almost 42 years, California has had its property taxes capped by Prop 13, which basically freezes taxes until a property changes hands. Prop 15 would unfreeze them, but only for commercial property, not homes. And it would exempt commercial property owned by small businesses. Basically, large businesses and commercial landlords would have to start paying property taxes based on what their real estate is worth now, not what it was worth whenever they happened to buy it. The state's best estimate is this would bring in 8 to $12.5 billion per year in additional taxes. A formula in the initiative would split the money between state government, local governments, and schools. Now, for these debates, we let the campaigns choose who will speak for them, so we introduce them by telling you who is paying. So far, about $49 million has gone into the pro side of the Prop 15 fight, the bulk of it from unions that represent public sector workers, especially teachers. Also, about $10 million from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg's pack. On the no side, about $40 million so far, the lion's share through the California Business Roundtables pack, which is reporting its biggest contributor this cycle, is the hedge fund Blackstone Property Partners. They have major office and hotel investments in California that would pay higher taxes if Prop 15 passes. Okay, on to the debate. For Prop 15, we have Ben Grief. He is campaign director of Evolve California. Welcome to you. Good morning. Thank you. And on the con side, Edwin Lombard III, CEO of the California Black Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to you. Oh, thank you. And the same to you. Ben, we'll start with you because you're in the affirmative. Uh, take two minutes. Make, make the case. Why should voters 
raise taxes. Thanks so much. Um, you know, Prop 15 is just a common sense initiative that is more important now than ever. Uh, it will generate $12 billion of stable, reliable local revenue. This is money going to our local schools and the local communities. You know, not a dime of this is going to Sacramento. Um, at a time when our local governments need it the most. You know, prior to COVID, our schools were ranked 39th in the nation in education funding. And now in our current situation, we're even in a worse off situation with our schools. In terms of local governments, cities, counties, and special districts, including fire districts, are facing unprecedented budget cuts. So this is a way that our state can actually generate reliable revenue for the things that we all need and want and deserve in our communities while protecting homeowners, protecting renters, and protecting small businesses. Um, this is an initiative that is something where when you look at every other place in the country, all we want to do is just put ourselves on par with how they tax large commercial property. You know, commercial properties valued under $3 million in California will be exempt from any changes. Um, like I mentioned, all residential property will be protected. This simply will mean that large commercial property owners valued at over $3 million, if they have property valued at over $3 million, they will have to pay fair market value property taxes like they would have to do anywhere else. So this is an enormous opportunity for us in a time when we desperately need this funding. And also, by closing these loopholes, we're really evening the playing field for all businesses. And what we're also doing is evening the property tax burden that we have now in California, where over the last 40 years, more of the share has been paid by residential properties versus commercial properties. So this is just common sense, reliable, stable funding for our schools and communities when we need it the most. All right. That was exactly two minutes for the consult. We'll go to you, Edwin Lombard III. Your case against Prop 15. Yes, uh, Prop 15 will uh, be devastating to black-owned businesses in California and to all minority businesses. Um, as the head of the largest black nonprofit business organization in the state, I'm focused on assist assisting uh, local chambers with uh, business growth and economic development and minority uh, businesses to stay afloat in this state. As we know, small business, particularly black-owned and minority-owned small businesses, are the lifeblood of California's economy. A recent study by the NAACP showed that 5% of all black all small businesses are black, and uh, one-third of those are uh, uh, Latino or Latinx. Um, California is counting on these small businesses to restore jobs to our communities and lead us into uh, out of this recession. Um, their resurgence is key to racial equality and shows social justice. Looking at the challenges these small businesses face during the current recession, we must stop anything that impedes and uh, returns to work or slows down the economy, economic growth uh, demands of immediate, uh, and any, any uh, slowdown of economic growth demands our immediate attention. That's why we need to defeat Prop 15. No matter what the proponents of Prop 15 claim, this measure will devastate small business. The property tax increase will mean skyrocketing rent for many small businesses, on, business owners, and higher property taxes get passed on uh, to those uh, who lease the properties from commercial properties. Also, uh, the cost of doing business will increase because as big box stores and supply companies and um, major corporations increase their price because of the increase in the property taxes, they're going to pass this on to the consumers 
and a lot of those consumers are small businesses. And those small businesses who operate on very small margins are all of a sudden going to find themselves priced out of the ability to maintain uh, businesses here in the state of California. Because of this phenomenon, it's going to promote gentrification because as these small businesses have to leave the uh, communities that they've existed in, uh, newer businesses will come in that can afford to pay the higher cost. And that's going to bring a different level of uh, clientele. So it's going to gentrify those communities that have been uh, traditionally black or Latino for many, many years. Um, I want to I want to drill down a little bit on on the the mechanism that you're warning about here. So so Prompt 15, as I read it, it exempts businesses if they have fewer than 50 employees, if they're independently owned and operated, if they own less than three million dollars in real estate. Are you worried about businesses that don't meet those thresholds? Are you saying that like the small business exemption isn't big enough? I've saying that uh, very few small businesses are going to fit within that very narrow parameter. Uh, case in point, the $3 million. Um, if you have a, if, if you're solely, your company solely is under that $3 million threshold, but you have a business partner and you combine the two uh, entities together and the threshold is over $3 million and you don't fit that, uh, that threshold. You can't, you can't qualify for that exemption. So it's a very narrow window that you have to fit into, and not very many small businesses. So, so do you have that. an example, like a concrete example of a business that would be impacted, and you think that would be a bad thing? Well, just, let's just say that um, uh, you owned a uh, a small strip mall or a, a, sm a small piece of a, a, a strip mall. So you have one business in that strip mall that you own the facility. Um, let's just say it was a supply store, uh, business supply store. Um, and you you fell within to that three million dollar threshold. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm <clears throat> got a frog in my voice. But you have a business partner, and he owns multiple uh, strip malls throughout the throughout the state. All of a sudden, your less than three million dollar value has increased because of your business partner owning. Uh, additional properties pushing you over that three million dollar threshold. Right? No, no, no. I, I so get the hypothetical. I, I guess my question is: Can can you can you like name a business in that situation so we can uh, ground the conversation, you know, in something real? Um, off the top of my head, I can't give you a specific name, but I know many um, um, real estate investors, real estate investors who they fall right within that parameter. Um, they own uh, buildings throughout the state. Uh, and they have companies that function within those buildings, but they have business partners that are in the same situation. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a name that I can give you. Okay, Ben Grief, uh, what, what about that type of situation where, where a partnership exposes a small business to the tax liabilities of a big business under Prop 15? What's your response? Well, I, I think, you know, with all due respect to Edward, the, the picture that he's painting is just not factually accurate. Um, what our analysis shows is that 92% of the revenue that Prop 15 will generate will come from just 10% of commercial properties in California. And that's because most commercial properties are actually already paying fair market value property taxes. It's only a small number of large commercial properties like your Disneyland's, for example, or your Chevron's that have owned their properties for the last four decades and are still paying property taxes based on 1970s levels. And 
the majority of properties in California, commercial properties to be specific, are actually valued at less than $3 million. So they would be exempt. Uh, you know, furthermore, Prop 15 provides the largest tax cut in a generation for small businesses by exempting the first half a million dollars of business equipment from being taxed. And for folks that aren't familiar with um, the business per personal property tax, it's a cumbersome tax um, for small businesses that requires that a restaurant has to add up all of their silverware, their tables and chairs, and their pots and pans and ovens and refrigerators every year and pay a tax on that. That's a perfect example of how our state has had to nickel and dime individuals and small business owners because large commercial property owners like your Chevrons and your Disney's or your Blackstones, as you mentioned in your opening, aren't paying fair market value property taxes. I mean, we've lost $150 billion over the last 40 years because we have this loophole in our commercial property tax system that doesn't exist anywhere else in this country. And so the idea that this is somehow going to negatively affect small businesses is just false. Um, and uh, recently, uh, a recent study by Beacon Economics um, supports that claim um, because everything that we're talking about here is based on the free market. You know, prices of goods and services are based on supply and demand on the market. Well, let, Rent, me, let me press you on one example uh, Edwin raised earlier in his opening argument uh, that he didn't return to, which is small businesses that have a lease that makes them responsible for the taxes on the building they're in. Uh, you, you could be a small business in a building owed by a large landlord and be the one who takes the hit under Prop 15. What's your response to that? Sure. So again, the, the first thing I would say is, you know, the vast majority of properties are exempt in California. And also most of the revenue is coming from a small number of properties. So that's just an important thing to mention when we're trying to drill down and find specifics. And this is why I believe Edwin is having a hard time finding an example is because there are so few. Um, but what our initiative has done is it has a phase in period. So this is something where if you are a commercial property owner and your property is valued at over $3 million, then you won't, uh, but your tenants, more than 50% of them are small businesses, uh, your property won't be reassessed till 2025, 2026 at the earliest. Um, and so the idea is five years from now is when potentially at the earliest we will see some of these smaller properties with small businesses being reassessed, which gives ample time for tenants and the landlords to come up with this rental agreement that works for both parties. So this is not something where we're going to just snap our fingers and say every commercial property in California is going to be reassessed right away. We do have a phase-in period for this. So um, Great, it, Let's get a response on that point. Edward Lombard III, um, yeah. slow phase-in, uh, protection for small well, businesses. What's your response? Well, let me first go to um, the response that he gave about uh, you know small businesses not going to be affected because of the uh, lack of the small amount of organizations that are going to have this property increase. Uh, that's not true at all. Um, and and the thing about this and the, and the point that you raised about uh, small businesses having to uh, cover the cost that's going to be increased on these organizations. Um, the majority of major corporations are going to have um, uh, property tax increases. The, the commercial property owners throughout the state are going to have property tax increases. And because of the small businesses that lease their properties on a triple net lease, which requires those leasers to then pay the property tax increase, 
So it's going to be spread out over the number of leasers that there are on these uh, properties that's then actually going to pay that cost. So even the big box stores and, and major uh, companies like Chevron and, and he mentioned Disneyland, they're not going to eat those costs. They pass those down to the consumers. I don't know if you've been to Disneyland lately, but the cost to go to Disneyland is almost unaffordable for the average family in the state of California. Sure, but so it's, it's I wanted economics to that 101 that I wanted you don't to make charge that based point on to your make costs. That clear. Uh, you're you're charged what the market will bear. Pardon me? It's Econ 101 that a business doesn't charge based on its costs. It charges as much as the market will bear. When you have a triple net lease, it's written into your lease that you will pay the increase in the property tax. And, and as far as, as you saying that, um, you know, it's whatever the market will bear, this is where gentrification comes in. And that's why I brought that point up. You've got small businesses that have existed in the very same location for many, many years, even generations. All of a sudden, they can't afford to keep those businesses because they can't afford to uh, pay the rent. Uh, you know, where they are. That means that those organizations go in either have to close their doors or they're going to have to relocate. But when you have a small business, relocating is not so easy because you have a built-in clientele that you built over years. They don't necessarily follow you wherever you go. They go to whatever small businesses are right there in their communities that they build relationship with. So it can be devastating for small businesses if this uh, proposition goes through. Edwin, I want to kind of tease apart um, how much of this is about the specifics of the measure and how much of it is about the big picture. Um, could you imagine a, a differently constructed split role tax measure where the contours well, of the small business exemption were were uh, expansive enough that you could support it? The, the, the exemption for small business would have to be much larger than what they're proposing right now. Um, that window is way too small uh, for the majority of small businesses in the state of California to fit within. Micro businesses, yes, but most micro businesses aren't leasing. They're, they're actually, especially in, in times of COVID, they're not functioning out of their homes. Okay. But then they've, you know, it, they've made it difficult because they can no longer be functioning as independent contractors. But, but so to be right? clear, like if Ben came back with new language um, and it was 100% clear from that language that the tax hike wasn't hitting anybody smaller than Disneyland, Walmart, and Chevron, you'd be on board. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Got it. Um, ben Grief, I, I, I want to uh, flip this around. Um, this is uh, coming out of a, a, a long-standing grievance uh, that that much of California has had with the fallout from Proposition 13. Why just go after commercial property taxes? Uh, w w why not the whole Megillah? Why why shouldn't everybody pay their property taxes based on the current value of their real estate? Um, yeah, I, I definitely love to answer that. But I, I think that the, the first thing that Edwin brought up was sort of Disneyland. And just to be clear, um, Disneyland has increased their ticket prices 1800% since they were last paying fair market value property taxes. You know, Chevron gas is not um, at 1970s prices either. You know, there is absolutely no correlation between the cost of goods and services and the property taxes being paid by a business. So I, th I think that's really important to, to mention. Um, but to, to answer your question, you know, Prop 13 was passed in 1978 and it was meant to protect people. It was meant to keep grandma in her home. That's what people like and that's what Prop 15 protects. But what people don't like 
And what doesn't make any sense at all is the fact that Chevron gets the same protections that grandma gets. And that's what Prop 15 is working to change, because there is absolutely no reason that Trump should be getting a massive tax break in property taxes on his La Jolla Country Club and his uh, property in San Francisco that he doesn't get for Trump Tower or Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Right. So th- th- this this is all about fair share. Homeowners are already paying 72 percent of the property taxes in California, while commercial property owners are only paying 28 percent of property taxes. This will help stabilize that burden, because right now we do live in a state that is nickel and diming individuals every year, including small businesses. Right. It costs an enormous amount right now to start a business with business license fees and all these other things that we have to make up for the fact that, again, we have a system unique to California and that large commercial property owners are not required to pay fair market value property taxes. And right now, with the massive deficits that we're looking at in an unprecedented time, this is the best, fairest and smartest way that California can recover from this current economic crisis. Because if we don't do this, then we're looking at an even bigger problem. Okay, we're going to take that you as know. your closing argument, because uh, we are almost out of time. And Ben Grief, because you're in the affirmative, you got to go first. Uh, Edwin Lombard III, uh, we'll let you give your closing argument now. Go ahead. Well, um, ben, just, uh, ben just brought up a good point. And the one thing that we need to consider here in California is a comprehensive tax overhaul. Uh, nitpicking in specific areas, and in particular the, the property uh, tax, is not going to get us where we need to go. Um, and if you're going to start uh, nitpicking at Prop 13 and you're going to first go to uh, you know, the major corporations, uh, next thing we know, it's going to be going uh, to property, personal property, and they're going to start nitpicking into that. So unless we do something systemic, like a comprehensive tax overhaul, um, we're going to be dealing with this. And there's always going to be some way of, of finding revenue uh, in a tax system uh, that's broken and needs to be fixed. Uh, I want to say that, um, yes, uh, Prop 15 is going to devastate small business in the state of California. Most small businesses do have a triple net lease, and they will see increases in their leases. They operate on very small margins and cannot afford any increases, especially at such a devastating time as, as what we're dealing with from the downturn of COVID-19. Uh, also, um, small businesses is, is the bread and butter of this state. And when all of a sudden we can't hire people anymore or we can't provide the services in the communities that we do, it's going to change the dynamic and it's going to it's going to also decrease some taxes that are being paid by well-organized, well-run businesses that have been sustained for many, 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 many years. Uh, and and also, I, I want to say that none of this money that is earmarked to go to schools and to the lower-income communities is ever going to make its way down there. These funds are going into the general fund. Once they get there because of the, the devastating hit that the state has taken because of COVID-19, I doubt that any of that money is going to make it into our communities. And because the the, the lowest uh, denominator on the totem pole of who gets this money is schools, I don't think schools are ever going to see these funds. So it's just a way of making people believe they're going to get something when they're really not going to get anything. I'm sorry, I just have to chime in there. That is actually No, I'm, I'm afraid we're out of time. Uh, we'll we'll <laughs> leave it to our listeners and their voting packets. Uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you both so much for joining us.
Thank you. Thank you very much. The last voice you heard was Edwin Lombard III. He's CEO of the California Black Chamber of Commerce, arguing against Proposition 15. Uh, chiming in there, you heard Ben Grief. He is campaign director of Evolve California, arguing for Proposition 15. Proposition 15 would lift the cap on property taxes on commercial real estate in California with an exemption for small businesses. It would make it so that... Uh, Entities that own large commercial real estate holdings would start paying taxes based on what they're worth, not what they were worth when they bought them. Uh, state's estimate is that would bring in an extra $8.5 to $12 billion per year. This is a special California ballot breakdown from KPFA. Coming up next, another tax change on the ballot. Somewhat different coalition behind it. Prop 19 would also change the way California's property tax cap works, but it would make it more expansive for some people and take it away for some others. We'll have both sides on when we come back after this. A quick reminder that you can find all our candidate interviews and ballot initiative debates if you just go to kpfa.org and search for California Ballot Breakdown. Use that same page to find subscribe links for most podcast apps. Also, if you didn't get a chance to pledge during our fall fund drive, uh, the powers that be need me to tell you that it's not too late. We ended our fund drive about $10,000 short of our goal, but we ended it on time because we wanted to keep the airwaves clear for coverage of the Supreme Court confirmation fight and elections coverage like this. So if you like what you've been hearing, uh, pitch in. Go to kpfa.org hit that donate button at the top of the screen. On to our next ballot debate, another change to property tax law, Proposition 19. For 42 years now, California has had property taxes capped by Prop 13, which basically freezes taxes until a property changes hands, no matter how valuable it has become in the meantime. Prop 19 would make it easier for some people, seniors, disabled people, fire victims, to take their lower tax assessment with them if they move elsewhere in the state. It would also unfreeze property taxes when someone inherits a property that they don't actually live in. And it would park any extra taxes in a state wildfire response fund. For these debates, we let the campaigns choose who will speak for them, so we introduce them by telling you who is paying. Uh, so far, close to $40 million has gone into the pro side of the Prop 19 fight, the vast majority from realtor organizations. Uh, realtors earn commission when properties sell. Prop 19 would probably increase the number of homes changing hands. Very little money has gone into the no side, about $45,000 so far. Okay, on to the debate for Proposition 19. Sandra Lowe is with the Yes on 19 campaign. Welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And on the con side, Susan Shelley. She is vice president of communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association. Welcome to you. Thank you very much. Sandra, because you're in the affirmative, we'll let you start. Uh, take two minutes, make the case for Prop 19. 
Great. Thank you so much. And, and thank you to all the listeners out there. Appreciate all the work that you do. Um, so Prop 19 was put on the ballot by the legislature um, to address a, a serious issue, and that is the underfunding of fire districts throughout California. I'm calling you today from my home, which is in Sonoma, California. And uh, I know you're all aware of the horrible wildfires that we've experienced both in Sonoma and in Napa counties over the past month. So many of these uh, fire districts that were called upon to fight these fires are underfunded. They were formed after Proposition 13 and are not getting um, very much property tax to help them. So this would go towards many of these uh, rural small fire districts where we're experiencing these uh, great uh, catastrophes. So that's part of it. The other part of it is to close this loophole that has been um, you know, in place for a long time in California, depriving cities, counties, school districts, special districts of the resources that they need. And that is to close the, the loophole on inherited property. We have people that own multiple homes throughout California that have been passing them on for generations, and there's no increase in property tax, and they don't even live in these homes. Many of them are Airbnbs or rentals, and in the meantime, we have a housing crisis. We have other issues that we need to take care of uh, with the pandemic and so forth. And you know, every other state reassesses these homes. So if people inherit a home and they don't live in it, they will be reassessed under Prop 19. And this will bring billions of dollars into the state of California. And in addition, um, as Brian said, people that are victims of wildfire uh, seniors and people who are disabled can move to a more appropriate home and not have an increase in their property tax um, that would prevent them from being able to move. This is really important, especially in the areas like in um, Butte County, where 17,000 homes were destroyed in the campfire. There really was nowhere else to move. Okay, in we'll Butte be able County. to get into the details in a minute, Thank but I, I do want to keep the openings sure. to two minutes. Uh, Susan Shelley, the, the case against Proposition 19. Okay, the case against Proposition 19 is that it is a billion dollar tax increase on California families, and it's an attempt to reverse the will of the voters four times. This portability provision was on the ballot two years ago as Proposition 5, and voters rejected it 60 to 40. And now it's back with a huge tax increase attached to it. And what is this tax increase? Well, in 1986, the legislature put a constitutional amendment on the ballot by a unanimous vote that said when property is transferred between parents and children, and this was a home of any value and up to a million dollars of other property, such as a small business, a small apartment building that someone bought years ago, up to a million dollars of assessed value of other property and a home not reassessed to market value when transferred between parents and children. That passed with almost 76% of the vote after a unanimous vote in the legislature. And Proposition 19 repeals it eliminates it, gone. And the only way you have that same exception is if you are moving into the property and use it as a principal residence within one year. If you move in in 18 months, you lose it and the home is reassessed to market value. Why do this? In 1982, the voters said no inheritance taxes in California. And this functions 
like an inheritance tax. So for a small business that's been built for two generations, for a home that's owned but the kids can't move into it immediately, reassess to market value, the kids owe 1% of the new market value every year as a condition of keeping that property. And this was revisited in 1996 and approved again for grandparents. And this doesn't just affect rich people, it affects every property in California. And the funding for fire districts is a little bit uncertain. It may be funding the fire districts the way the lottery funds the schools, if you know what I mean. I, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll try to put this in blunt terms. Um, most Californians aren't fortunate enough to inherit business properties or rental buildings um, with 40-year-old tax assessments. Why should they care about doing this at the ballot box? Well, I can answer that. It's because if you live in one of those buildings, what's going to happen to your rent? If somebody inherits an older apartment building and they suddenly owe 1% of the new market value every year in property taxes, the rents are going to go up. And if the rents don't go up, it's because probably the owner is going to sell the building because they can't make it work financially. And if they sell the building, then you have gentrification, then you have neighborhoods destroyed, then you have people evicted from their longtime apartments. So everyone should care about this. Sandra Lowe, your response? Yeah, my response is that everyone should care that we are being deprived of billions of dollars of property tax year after year for people who are not living in these primary residences. This is not about small business. This is about a primary residence. And uh, extending this, I mean, you're making the argument against, you know, that sounds like the rent control argument that you're going for, and that's a totally different proposition. Our proposition has to do with primary residences, and if the, if the child moves into the house, then they, uh, they can inherit the property tax. So we believe that, yeah, there is a place for that. But if they're not moving into the home, then there's reassessment needs to take place. We're talking about people who have billion dollar homes all over the place, they, you know, on the beach, up in the ski slopes, they've got multiple places that, you know, vacation rentals. That's what we're talking about here. In the meantime, we've got people who are unhoused so we need to bring in that money for California, and this is a fair way to do it. And honestly, business has not been opposed. They understand it. This is a reasonable way to make a change for Californians. And that's why we have support not only from unions and the Democratic Party, but also the business roundtable and chambers of commerce throughout the state, because they understand we need to have this resource, these resources, and we're not going to have pay-as-you-go fire districts. We need to fund them, because they don't just put out fires. They also show up in medical emergencies, and we're living in the midst of a pandemic. Well, Sandra, let, let's talk about the other element of Proposition 19, um, w w which would lock in tax breaks for, for certain categories of homeowners. It would make it possible for seniors, people with disabilities, and fire victims to trade homes and keep their tax assessment up to three times, and, and to do that on a prorated basis, even if they're trading up to a bigger home. Like, Why, why is that carve-out good policy? 
Well, we have that policy right now. In fact, in Alameda, San Mateo, Santa Clara County in the Bay Area, they already have that uh, policy. Also, Los Angeles and the other large counties in uh, Southern California. Sure, but it's, it's so, one time. Let's be clear. It's one time only, not three times. And it's only correct. within the county or between counties that have the same between arrangement. Counties. This would be a, a extreme, not an extreme, but it would be a large expansion of that trade. It would be a fair, it would make every county the same is basically what it does. So right now, if my house burns down in Sonoma County, I can move to Alameda County. But an Alameda County person can't move to Sonoma County. So what this does is it makes it fair for all counties. Because as we know, people are, are mobile. They need to move around um, and they need to move near family or medical care. And so this would make it fair for everybody. It's a program that's been in place for over 30 years in the largest counties in California. And so we know that this works. We also know that you know people want to move, but they can't because they're on fixed incomes. I think of my mom who lives in Contra Costa County who is living on social security. I mean, she has some equity in her home, but she absolutely cannot move because she wouldn't be able to afford the new property tax. And so what this does would free up her place for somebody else to move in. And we'd open up housing for more people in California, not just to buy, but to rent. Okay, I want, so I want to drill down on that, that for a second. Su Susan Shelley, I'll, sure. I'll come back to you momentarily. But, but Sandra Lowe, I, I get, as a matter of policy, right? Uh, it's good policy to take away the incentives that are keeping someone like your mom uh, in a house that might be more house than she needs. W what I don't get is if that's the policy goal why Prop 19 enables trading up, why it lets someone in your mom's position take her lower taxes into an even bigger home. Well, you know, the reality is most people don't do that, but you're right, theoretically that could happen. But it's the reason for that is that there are some counties that are just absolutely more expensive than other counties. So if somebody wants to move, uh, for example, I live in Sonoma, if my mom wants to move to Sonoma County, you know, she might not be able to find a place that suits her needs that's equal or less than the cost of her house. And you pay the difference in the property tax. So it's not like you get to transfer your lower property tax to a more expensive home, you know, without paying the difference. You're paying the difference in the property tax. But this, you can't open it up to every county in California and say, and treat all, and say, well, it has to be the same price. Because if you're moving from Madera County to San Francisco, it just doesn't pencil out. So we have to have that in there so people can have the flexibility that we're trying to give them. Susan Shelley, let's come back to you on, on this point. Where is Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association as a matter of principle uh, on the portability of these Prop 13 tax assessments? Well, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association supported portability when it was Proposition 5 without the tax increase two years ago, but the voters rejected it, 60 to 40. And now it's back with this huge tax increase. And this is not about billion dollar homes. This is not about vacation homes. This is not about billionaires. This is every property in California and it acts like an estate tax on ordinary people who have put 30 years of mortgage payments into owning their property and they wanna leave it to their kids and the kids will be forced to sell it. They will be opening the sympathy cards and one of them will be a new tax bill. 
and they will be forced to sell the property because they can't afford the taxes unless they can move into it. And if it's a business, they lose it no matter what. This is very harsh, and it's all about commissions. It's all about freeing up the real estate market so more people have to list their properties. But forcing people to sell with higher taxes is not a good policy in California, and the voters have rejected it. You keep saying the voters have rejected it, but but um, if it gets overturned, it, it'll be the voters overturning it. I, I'm having a hard time if understanding they, the principle okay. behind the argument. If they know that they're doing that, but have you seen the commercials? The commercials are all about fires. The fire part of this is a very small part of this. People are not being told, by the way, we're repealing Proposition 58, which you've had since 1986, and we're repealing Proposition 193, which voters said they would extend the same rules, a home of any value and up to a million dollars of other property without reassessment between grandparents and grandchildren. Voters revisited that. And you add that to the 1982 vote, which was nearly two-thirds to ban inheritance taxes. When the voters are, are having this issue explained to them, it's a different thing than when you're talking about fire districts. And by the way, the California State Association of Counties is opposed to this. And the League of Women Voters is opposed to this. And even the League of Cities, which had thought that it was a good idea, looked, clo looked more closely at it and took no position. So this is not good policy. Sandra Lowe, your response well, we, on those points? Yeah, well, we can list, you know, so many organizations that are in favor of this uh, measure. I mean, obviously, the California Professional Firefighters jumps to the top of the list, but also the California Democratic Party and the California Labor Federation. So, you know, who are responsible for looking after the needs of working people in California. So I, I think that all of these past laws, first of all, they were a long time ago. Um, and, you know, it's time to revisit a lot of laws. That's why I'm for Prop 16 as well. I mean, just because we got rid of affirmative action doesn't make it right. It's time to relook at these things. It's time to look at them through the lens of what people need right now in California. And I think of my own kids. I'm fortunate enough to have my home. My kids, when they inherit the home, I'll have paid most of it. So if they have to pay more taxes, I think that's fair. And I think most middle income people will understand that and will realize that, you know, there's no free ride. People need to pay their fair share and they will support this because it will bring into our cities, counties, school districts, fire districts, special districts, billions of dollars. And we need it. I mean, this state desperately needs it. Um, well, there you the, go. It's a tax increase. Well, well, let me ask you on this question of, of fairness, Susan Shelley. Like, what, what's the inherent fairness if you have two properties side by side? They're both worth a million dollars today, uh, but you know, one person's paying, I don't know, thirteen thousand dollars with special assessments in their property taxes, uh, and and another person's paying two thousand dollars a year because they inherited from their grandfather. Well, there are a lot of unintended consequences from the from the way real estate prices accelerate in California, whether that's for value or supply and demand or inflation. There are a lot of unintended consequences. When people buy property in California, everybody has the same rules and the same rates. It has always been the case that all property is taxed, same rules, same rates. And the deal is when you buy property, you know what your property taxes will be. The assessed value will not go up more than 2% a year 
as long as you own that property. And you will not be taxed out of your own property by something you can't control, the value of the real estate. So whenever you make a decision to buy property, those are the rules for it. And it is fair to everyone, although as time goes on, people have different tax assessments. It's still the same deal for everybody. But, and that's what's so good about Prop 19 is we're not changing the, the anything while people are in their homes. I mean, that is still the way. It's The only change happens is when the person inherits. And it's not retroactive. It's going forward. People will be able to plan for this. And it's a fair way 49 other states do it. It's about time California does the same. Susan Shelley, tell, tell me how this is not making a case for dynastic wealth accumulation. Well, people have a right in a free country to take care of their kids. It's not dynastic. It's it's middle class people. It's working class people. It's anyone who saves and makes mortgage payments for year after year and does without, doesn't go on cruises, doesn't go to restaurants because they want to have a house and they want to leave something to their kids. This is an inheritance tax in effect. But, and the voters have said no to that. But I'm sorry, it's not anyone. It, it's anyone who had enough means to buy a business property or a rental property, not even their primary home, and then leave it to their kids and grandkids. It is the kids and grandkids who realize the benefit of the tax break that Prop 19 would take away. Well, if an immigrant family comes to the United States and two generations work to build a business and they have a restaurant, it's just a fact that under Prop 19, when that business is transferred to the children, it will be the property will be reassessed to market value. This no is matter- primary residences. That's what we're talking about here. And honestly, I think you're sorry. Sorry, let's let let her things. finish, Sandra Lowe. I'll come back I'm to you in a minute. We've got enough time for both of you. Go ahead, Susan Shelley. Well, that the current law says that up to a million dollars of assessed value of other property is exempt from reassessment when transferred between parents and children. That is in the state constitution. And Proposition 19 repeals that. That is just a fact. It is a billion dollar tax increase on California families. Now, you can be in favor of that if you want to. You certainly can be. But I'm not seeing the commercials saying, by the way, we're going to be raising taxes on transfers between parents and children. The commercials say it's tax savings. And for some people, it will be tax savings. But for other people, it will be ruinous. And to do this to the younger generation, which is already struggling in California, I think is very cruel. Sanjalo, quick response. My response is that, you know, we protect the the fact that if middle class people leave a home to their, their kids and the kids move into the home, they get to inherit the current property tax rate. I mean, that's that's still there. Nobody's taking that away from them. It's only the homes that are not occupied, primary residences that are not occupied, where they are reassessed. And so talking about, you know, all these other issues, the family diners and all of that kind of stuff, you're conflating the issue. The issue is very simple. If you move into the home, you inherit the current property tax rate up to $1 million. If you don't move into the home, then the home is reassessed. And it brings in billions of dollars to California. And Californians think that is fair. All right. We gave Sandra Lowe the first word. So Susan Shelley will give you the last word against Prop 19. Go ahead. Every dollar that this raises comes from raising taxes on property transfers between parents and children. And that's all property, not just beach property, not just trust fund property. Every home in California 
every business property in California that is inherited or transferred without being inherited between parents and children is going to be reassessed to market value unless it is a primary residence for the person to whom it's transferred within one year. 366 days, you lose it and reassess to market value. And that is a billion-dollar tax increase on California families. All right. That is the pro and the con on Proposition 19. The last voice you heard was Susan Shelley. She's vice president of communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association, arguing against it. Arguing for it was Sandra Lowe with the Yes on Prop 19 campaign. Thank you, both of you, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, you're listening to a special California ballot breakdown from KPFA. Tomorrow on the live show at 8.30 in the morning, we're going to have a debate on another massive ballot fight that has to do with housing. This is Proposition 21. What it would do is it would wipe out most of the state-level restrictions on what forms of rent control local governments can enact. We'll have the pro and the con on live Shortly after we're done with the live show, we will post it in the podcast feed, which you can get by going to kpfa.org and looking for California Ballot Breakdown. Okay, our final proposition tonight, a measure that is attracting massive sums of corporate money. As of September, about $180 million. Proposition 22 was put on the ballot by ride-hailing and delivery companies. It would exempt them from treating their drivers as employees, entitled to protections like minimum wage and overtime, workers' compensation, and unemployment. Our elections reporter, Ariel Boone, has this report on what it would do and who it would impact. My name is Jami Hia. I was a driver for Lyft and Uber. With Uber, I would get into the car, I'd go out to drive, and then there'd be a note. You cannot drive unless you read this and agree to it. And basically, usually it was, we're going to pay you less money. The same thing happened with Lyft. They would do the exact same thing. They've always controlled how much I make when I get paid the most under their algorithms. Is that independence? Not really. Is that flexibility? Not really. What I realized after driving with them almost four, four and a half years was that it was never about the relationship with the driver. It was really about their relationship to making money. The workplace rights of John Mejia and thousands of other app drivers became a state policy fight in 2018 when the California Supreme Court issued a unanimous decision called Dynamex. It created a simple test to determine if a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. If you work in the same field as your employer, if you're doing their work and um, they have control over what you're doing, you're their employee. It was a pretty, it's an ABC test. That's Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez. She's the author of AB5, a bill that incorporated the Dynamex decision into state law. There is no way for delivery driver and Uber driver to fit into this idea of being a small business. They don't set their own rates. They don't make their own decisions. They're, they're told where to go, when to go. There, there's just a lot of control in the entire aspect of it. Six weeks after Governor Newsom signed AB5 in 2019, delivery and ride-hailing companies filed paperwork to put Proposition 22 on the ballot and exempt themselves from the law. Here's Jeff Vetter, a spokesperson for the Yes on 22 campaign. What Prop 22 would do is uh, protect the ability of app-based drivers to choose to work as independent contractors with control over where, when, how long, and, and for whom they want to work. The initiative would permanently classify drivers for these apps as independent contractors, not employees. 
It also contains some things that look like worker protections. It bars companies from stealing tips from drivers, which is already illegal for employers to do to employees. It mandates drivers rest after working for 12 hours, though drivers could easily flout the law by switching to a second app. And it makes app companies pay a health care subsidy for drivers to buy insurance through Covered California. But the subsidy is based on the price of a bronze plan, known for high deductibles and fees. Prop 22 does create a minimum pay system, something drivers have long demanded. But there's a catch. The ballot proposition would only pay drivers for about two-thirds of the time that they're actually working because it only pays them for engaged time. Ray Fuentes is a legal fellow at the Partnership for Working Families. The company's funded research that clearly indicates drivers spend about a third of their time waiting, logged on, engaged to work, being essentially engaged to wait. And that's time under California law that should be compensable. He should be paid for that time. But under Prop 22, waiting time would remain uncompensated. The Yes on 22 campaign told KPFA that they intentionally limited driver pay to this so-called engaged time to prevent drivers from double dipping, earning money to wait on two apps at the same time. However, drivers told me that the apps keep them waiting on purpose without pay to increase the availability of rides and deliveries for customers. Another thing Proposition 22 does is restrain lawmakers. If the state legislature wants to give app drivers a legal right to unionize or collectively bargain, they have to amend Prop 22, and that requires a 7 8 supermajority vote. The part of the measure that makes drivers independent contractors could never be amended. Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez says that's a nearly impossible threshold. I've never seen a ballot initiative. Sometimes it requires a three-fourths vote of the legislature, but 7 8 is almost laughable. Again, this is Jeff Fetter, a spokesperson for the Yes on 22 campaign. The reason that 7-8 initiative is in there is because we think it's important that the voice of drivers and voters be protected, that if Prop 22 passes in November, the legislature can't come back in January and completely undo it. Another impact Prop 22 might have, keeping drivers on the job while they're sick. So, for example, drivers in San Francisco could access up to nine days of paid sick leave, something that's incredibly vital to workers now facing the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet the ballot proposition would make that law inaccessible to workers for companies like DoorDash and Uber and Lyft and essentially leave them with zero paid sick leave. My name is Idan Alvat. I'm originally from Israel. I live in Alameda. I'm a Lyft driver for the past six years. Driving has been Idan's primary source of income since 2018. In January, he became very sick with the flu. Seeing a doctor would have cost him $120. I had to work sick, putting myself and my passengers at risk. And I hated myself for doing that. But the choice is between working sick and losing the roof over my head. I worked as much as I could just until I earned enough money to pay my rent. And then I just physically couldn't work or, or really move much anymore. Idan Alva now volunteers for a group called Gig Workers Rising, which is campaigning against Prop 22. He stopped driving when the pandemic started, and he said he won't go back unless he feels safe. The CDC currently recommends companies pay for worker sick leave so they don't go to work sick and possibly spread a deadly disease. Independent contractors don't get the paid sick leave that state and local laws require for employees. This is Rebecca Smith of the National Employment Law Project. 
if you are an employee, you're entitled to all of those things. You're entitled to minimum wage and overtime and health and safety protections and paid sick days and in California, paid family leave and unemployment benefits when you lose your job and workers' compensation when you're injured. Much of that is taken away by this initiative and it's taken away permanently. For KPFA and Pacifica Radio on the election speed, I'm Ariel Boone. Ariel's working on a follow-up story about the insane amounts of money that are going into Prop 22 and the way that these platform-based companies are using their own tech to campaign for their measures. Uh, That'll be coming up sometime in the next week. We're also scheduling a live debate with the people working for and against the measure. And the best way to make sure you don't miss any of it is subscribe to the KPFA Ballot Breakdown podcast. Just look for it on KPFA's website. That does it for today's California Ballot Breakdown. After Senate Judiciary Supreme Court confirmation hearings are done, we will be doing most of this coverage live in the 8 a.m. hour on Upfront. You can also subscribe to our elections coverage as a podcast. Just search for California Ballot Breakdown on KPFA's website and hit the subscribe button at the top that corresponds to the podcast app that you use. A big thanks to Corinne Smith, who produces these segments. My name is Brian edwards Teekert. Remember, in California, your vote has even more impact down the ballot than it does at the top.